Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where we're thankful for the police, firefighters, and first responders who've been working since October 12th to recover the remaining two victims of the Hard Rock Hotel collapse, and Michael Conahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where Trader Joe's celebrated its grand opening today. The store is located at 11500 Financial Center Parkway. Today was also National Make-A-Dogs Day, part of this month's National Adopt-A-Shelter Dog Month. If you're looking to add a canine member to your family, adopt, don't shop. Tonight, in Episode 35, we're looking at State of Arkansas versus Aaron Lewis and Crystal Lowry. In 2014, real estate broker Beverly Carter was targeted, kidnapped, and murdered by Lewis, who wanted to make a quick buck from a rich broker. Lowry's role was to love lull Beverly into a false sense of security so that she would meet Lewis at a remote property in Scott, Arkansas. We'll talk about the evidence against Lewis and Lowry, Lowry's guilty plea, Lewis's ever-changing stories about the crime, his trial and direct appeal, and the status of the cases. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. I just shot you over that uh, Wikipedia I told you I was going to uh, a second ago on your Facebook, but... uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Trader Joe's, I saw that this morning. I've never seen somebody in the area so excited for a supermarket to come to town. <laughs> this must be what it's I like know. when people go Walmart for the first time. Well, I think, no, because Trader Joe's is kind of a California hipster vibe. At least that's the impression right. that I get from right. – um, things that are said about it. We don't have one here. I shop at the Walmart and the Rouse's. Occasionally the Winn-Dixie, but not very often. We don't have Rouse's or Winn-Dixie here. I remember Winn-Dixie when I lived in South Carolina, but not here. Yeah. um, Winn-Dixie is a a southern chain. I think they're in uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. 
um, then Rouse's is, is a local Louisiana chain. Okay. Okay. And my niece now works for them, which is all the more reason to continue shopping with them. Hey, there you go. There you go. Go harass your niece at work. <laughs> well, no, she's she's down in Thibodeau. But oh, okay. uh yeah, but I it's a it's a good market and you know, it's it's almost it's a big store, but it's like an old fashioned store. If you're staring at a shelf, a Rouse's employee will come and ask if they can help you find anything. Oh dang. Oh me. Okay. And you know, the managers if they if they make eye contact with you, they stop and tell you hello and make sure you're finding everything you need. Well, and when you when you when they ask about you know are, did you find everything, and you say why are you hiding something, they laugh. <laughs> that is. <laughs> they funny. have a sense of humor. <laughs> That's but, funny. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, that's our 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 shopping. We have Whole Foods, but we don't have one on the West Bank. Mm-hmm. It's over on the East Bank, and I I don't go. I'm not going over the East Bank to do my shopping. <laughs> yeah, we definitely we have a Whole Foods. It's <clears throat> obviously in the rich part of town, over in Chenal and Little Rock. And those who are familiar with Little Rock definitely realize what Chenal is. But uh, mm-hmm. definitely some. Definitely moving up in the world, I guess, the Trader Joe's is coming, but uh, definitely an interesting case we have here tonight, Lisa. Uh, I remember, this is one of the ones I remember, you know, pretty pretty good, you know. I was probably, what, it happened in 2014, so I was 24 years old at the time, and I remember... Uh, I remember, you know, we were kind of joking about it, but honestly, I remember getting the impression when they found the guy. I remember the dude was just a complete asshole. And the other thing I remember at the time, I was potentially looking into buying a house, and uh, I remember how uneasy all the realtors were. Uh, for those that don't yeah. know, obviously, Mr. Clark was a realtor. So I remember how uneasy the realtors, especially the females, were at that time. Yes. Uh, and that is uh, one of the things, even before we, you know, before we start off, um, Beverly Carter's son, Carl Carter Jr., in 2017 started a nonprofit organization called the Beverly Carter Foundation. I have a link for it on our webpage. It may not be a link. You may have to cut and paste it into your address bar. But they work, uh, their goal is to provide realtors, real estate agents, and brokers with the tools to stay safe. So they do seminars and safety seminars. They are like at the head of the tech world because there are now GPS uh, devices planted into jewelry. Right. That you can wear the jewelry, and you'll you know somebody will be able to find you. Um, and they well, offer you know different tips that perhaps you would think would be second nature, but aren't. I mean, insisting that a, a client or prospective client meet you at the office during a busy part of the day first, taking their their uh, identification 
and making a copy of it just temporarily. And sometimes clients don't like that, but, you know, then fine, go find another agent. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, you know, uh, I know I had actually walked into the realty office. Uh, She worked for uh, Crylike, so I'm not going to say which one, obviously, but she worked for a realtor (laughs) named Crylike here in uh, Little Rock. And, or, well, actually, North Little Rock, and uh, I remember we were actually talking. I talked to one of the people that knew her, and I forget how it even got brought up, but I talked to one of the people that knew her, and I remember mm-hmm. she told me that, you know, not to put any of this on Beverly, because that dude's a complete bastard, but, you know, Beverly, you know, it just to expound upon what you said earlier about making her comfortable to the point of doing something that she wouldn't normally do, they said that mm-hmm. it wasn't normal practice for Beverly to go out after dark and, you know, meet somebody in a secluded no. show. But that's, you know, part of the thing was that that was the whole goal with Crystal Lowry, During the lead-up, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, Crystal was posing as Lewis's wife, or she was really his wife, not quite sure. But she was posing as the prospective client's wife. They were saying it was going to be a cash sale, and um, she was going to be there. And then when Beverly gets to the house and Lewis is there alone, he actually, Crystal gets on the phone and says, oh, I'm so sorry. I got caught up at work. I couldn't come. And the impression I get from Bev- of, of Beverly Carter from everything everyone said from her son and her husband and her friends is that she was the type of person that wanted to see the good in everybody. Right. Even though I'm and sure so, she is. She she was pretty easily she was pretty easily lulled into a false sense of security uh-huh. by right. Lewis and Lowry, and you know we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, first off, I want to talk about Beverly Carter. Uh, her son Carl Carter Jr. I reached out to him, but he is apparently on a flight to Chicago right now. Um, I will wish him and hopefully, hopefully I sent him the phone number. He may be able to call in, but he very kindly sent me uh, a copy of his mom's obituary. Um, I want to call her Beverly because she and I are the same age, uh, the same generation. And uh, Beverly Lowndes Carter, 50, of Scott, Arkansas, went to be with our Lord on September 30th, 2014 in Cabot, Arkansas leaving behind her husband, two children, five grandchildren, and literally thousands of friends. She was so adored by everyone who knew her, she lived the loveliest of lives and leaves the brightest of legacies. Beverly was born on December 20, 1963, on McClellan Air Force Base in Anniston, Alabama. As she grew into the inspiring woman she became, she learned how to truly love others and to put God first. More than anything, she loved spending time with her family. She enjoyed traveling to different places and sharing her experiences with the ones closest to her. Although she loved her life and lived it beautifully, we know the stars we see at night are actually openings in heaven. This is how she smiles down on us 
letting us know how happy she is now. She's survived by her family, children, and grandchildren, whose photos she would share daily. They now carry her on her spirit. Her loving husband of 35 years, Carl Carter of Scott, her two sons, Carl Carter Jr. of North Little Rock and Chad Carter of Conway, one daughter-in-law, Kim Carter of North Little Rock, four grandchildren, Bailey Carter, Luke Carter, Chloe Carter, and Colin Carter, all of North Little Rock, and one grandchild who was expected to arrive in April of 2015. She's also survived by her mother, Marlene Lowndes of Pelt City, Alabama, her sisters, Kathy Siegler of Alliance, Nebraska, and Tobby Lowndes of Pell City, Alabama, and three Yorkshire Terriers, Dakota, Abby, and Boomer. She was reunited with her son, Christopher Brian Carter, and her daddy, John B. Lowndes. And that was the obituary for Miss Beverly Carter. And a beautifully see, written one as well. Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing, you know. That's what people need to realize is, you know, I, all these people that, you know, <clears throat> advocate for these, you know, these people that are clearly guilty to be arrested. I wish they would go back and they would, you know, see the pain that these people caused and maybe it would trigger something in them to go, you know what? Maybe I'm on the wrong side here, you know. I, I mean, mm-hmm. just my thought. How could you not hear that and still fight for this gentleman that's in prison? Right, exactly. And that's something too often the victims are lost. And we try not to do it, but unfortunately for us, the you know, the documents are in state versus killer, not death or murder of the victim. And so we kind of we kind of play into it a little bit, although again, I want to look at it how the courts see the case, why they make the decisions that they make, and why they don't grant the relief that the court of public opinion believes a killer was entitled to. Right, right. And, you know, we'll keep muddling through and doing that. I did have some updates, but we kind of moved into we moved into the show, so we will uh we'll reserve a little bit of time and talk about those at the end. Okay, absolutely. So I'll, that was yes. Miss that's okay, Miss Beverly and um she and her husband Carl met in Texas. She was sixteen, he was nineteen. And I remember him saying in an interview that he knew right then that was the person, that was the woman he was going to marry. Um, she was a real estate agent, real estate broker. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm using the incorrect terminology for her. Uh, she was an independent, but she did work with Crylike. Right. Well. Right. Um. And, you know, of course, 2008, the housing market went to hell in a handbasket. And in 2014, you know, the market was still recovering. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, So, you know, things, the boom of the 
nineties, early two thousands, especially in Little Rock, were not were no more. And so it was more difficult uh to make money in that economy in that that market. Right. So um she she had done well and she did well but it was not you know but making big 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 bucks all the time. I mean it was a struggle oh, yeah, and she absolutely. worked very hard to make, you know, the money that she made. Um oh, yeah. So, and of course, with you know real estate agents, um, they kind of you know they have to do it. They 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 are uh, they have to make a good impression on every client. So they oh, yeah. drive nice cars. And I, I remember the cry like agent. I went to look at houses with my friend Sean, and the cry like agent profusely apologized to us because she had. Uh, a, a an empty bottle in her car, like an empty water bottle, and she yeah, threw it away. In our, and she apologized because they're not supposed to do that. You know, they keep the cars pristine. Um, they drive nice cars, newer, later models, not necessarily new, new cars, but later right. models. They dress very well. Um, they, you know, do their hair, keep their hair very nice. Um, they wear makeup. They they look very, very attractive and, and very uh, put together. Oh, absolutely. You know, I would say, you know, kind of like a car salesperson, but, you know, more so even than, you know, car salespeople. Some car salespeople you'll see looking disheveled and stuff, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with realtors, you know, you never you never see a hair out of place. They're always they have that million mm-hmm. dollar smile. Yes, and you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Oh, I'm no, glad absolutely. I work in a law office where I can go in looking like a hobo. Right, <laughs> because I'm not a makeup, jewelry, hair. I never have been. So, but um, yes, yeah, so that was that was Beverly Carter. Um, I, I would have loved to have meet, to have met her in person because she really was a lovely, lovely woman, inside and outside. Absolutely. So, um, Aaron Lewis and Crystal Lowry, on the other hand, not so much. Uh, Aaron and Crystal picked Beverly Carter out because she was a an internet savvy. And so in 2014, she was using social media, internet, and things to to help grow her client list and and her her business. And so they picked her because she was married. And because she worked alone. They set up a spoof phone and email account posing as a couple with the last name Adams. They contacted Beverly. They told her they were were moving to uh, the Little Rock area, Scott, 
Arkansas. Uh, I think they used a New York number, so maybe they said they were moving from New York. Uh, they lied, 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 and said that it would be a cash sale, which means it will be a quick closing. And on September 25th, they had arranged to meet at a property in Scott, which was a foreclosure. It's kind of remote, but there are other houses in the neighborhood. I think it was one of those, maybe a development that was just starting up where there were other houses around, thankfully, because some of the information police got, they got from neighbors who were familiar with Beverly. Uh, Ironically, the neighborhood is where her pastor lived. I think she had a doctor that lived there, and it wasn't far from where she and her husband Carl lived because they both lived in oh. Scott. Right. So when Beverly gets to the property, she sees Lewis is there alone, and I I think she was hesitant to go into the house with him, but he quickly hands her the phone, and she talks to Crystal And Crystal says, oh, yeah, yeah, I just had to work late. I'm really sorry I meant to be there. You know, I just can't be there, but everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. He's not a, you know, sociopathic little killer. And so Beverly let her guard down and went into the house. And one of the good habits that she had was she did not take her purse in with her. She left the purse locked in the car. Which is a great okay. habit. Yeah, smart. And so she and Lewis proceed into the house, and he was taking pictures to send to Crystal. And at some point, they get to the stairs, and he takes out a taser, and he tells Beverly she's about to have a, ba- a bad day. He tases her. He ties her arms around her back, uh, behind her back with duct tape. And puts her in the trunk of the car and takes her away from the property in Scott. His intent was to take her to a cement plant or concrete plant in Cabot called Argos where he used to work but had been fired. Uh And uh, keep her there while he negotiated the ransom with her husband. But when he was going to the Argos property, there was something that he didn't think he could leave her there or there were people around. So he nixed that plan and started driving around at one point calling Crystal and saying, I can't leave her at the concrete property. What do do I do? What do I do? And Crystal's like, I don't care. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Whatever you want. Eventually... um, Lewis brings Beverly to their house. I think Crystal was at work. Okay. He brings Beverly to the house and locks her in a bathroom or a bedroom. At 9 o'clock when, when Beverly does not call or come home, Carl Sr. goes to the property, finds her car there with the purse locked inside, and knows something's not right and calls police who come out. Um, they begin, it's at that point, it's a missing person. They don't know what happened to her. Um, early, 
the next morning, of course, Carl has been in the house looking for Beverly, trying to find her. And, you know, so unfortunately, potential crime scene evidence is compromised. But, um, you know, he was, he, he didn't know. And he was only reacting. He didn't know what was going on. Her car was there, her purse was there. The door's not locked. He goes in to look for her. That's a normal, a normal reaction. Um, so, and initially police did suspect him. But once they, once they looked at Beverly's phone records, they realized that it was, had nothing to do with Carl. Um, Early in the morning, Carl received three texts from Beverly. The first one just said yes. The second one said something about her phone battery being dead. And the third one said that she was out drinking with friends. And that was the one that that Carl was able to tell the police, this ain't right because she don't drink. Right. Um, at some point, Lewis has realized that he's got um, he's got Beverly at the house in Jacksonville. He realizes she doesn't have any money, but he also realizes her ATM card is in the car at the Scott property. Wait, the and house. he has her pin, but no ATM card. The house in Jacksonville belongs is. Where he took her, Lowry. Said, right? He was correct. He was Lowry. The house he was but... living at was Lowry. Correct. Okay. Okay. Got And got so you. he returns. He returns to the property in Scott, thinking he's just going to go in Beverly's car and get her ATM card. Right. And cops are swarming around, and an officer actually stops and speaks to him, but has no idea who he is, so he's able to leave. And um, at some point, also, the police questioned neighbors who had seen a black car and a thin white male at the property at the time Beverly was there. And another neighbor saw the black car backed up on the yard to the front door, which is when he put Beverly into the trunk. And it's important, you know, to note that he put her in the trunk. Um, that'll come up later. Okay. So he gets back to the house. Lowry has realized that Beverly has been in a location where she could get Crystal's name. They don't want to get caught. Um, they realize Beverly doesn't have, is not the rich broker that they thought she was. And so they decide that she has to die. Instead of letting her go and taking their lumps, God knows Aaron Lewis was a seven-time convicted felon. He was on probation at the time this happened in 2014. I mean, it was no, you know, no new new thing for him when his first time at the rodeo. Um, Crystal Lowry had a lot to lose, but you know what? She deserved to lose it. Because she got involved in this whole plan. 
And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think between them, they've got maybe a room temperature IQ with both of them put together, but not much. So um, at that point, early in the morning, Lewis leaves the house with Beverly, and he kills her and leaves her at the concrete plant in Cabot. Okay. In the woods. Um, The 27th is when the search for Beverly really started picking up, and police made exigent circumstance requests for information to both AT&T where they got Beverly's AT&T where they got the numbers that she'd been calling and identified a number that was not saved as a contact into her phone. Um, They got her access to her iCloud account. Uh Um, So they were able to, you know, identify people she knew, et cetera. And they were able to see this one number that she never saved with a name, but that she frequently called and had called several times on the day of the 25th. And that led to a number with a 914 area code, which led them to text me, which was a, a service for smartphone users for free text and phone calls which is run by Google, so they did an exigent circumstance request to Google and found out that the spoof number was associated with Crystal Lowry, and they also got her address. And the fact that she owned a 2012 Ford Fusion vehicle, which was black, and fit the description of the vehicle seen at at the Scott property. Right. So they begin surveillance around the 28th on Lewis and Lowry's residence in Jacksonville. Um, there, Lowry was paranoid already, and Lewis was getting paranoid. He comes out of the house, apparently thinks he might be being followed, so he jumps in the fusion, speeds off, and about three miles later, on a 90-degree turn, wrecks his car. Oh, Lord. Well, it's not his car. It's Crystal's car. And I'll bet anything the note was in Crystal's name. Right. Because he's just a user. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so he wrecks the car, turns it over in a ditch, climbs out. A police officer who had been following him drives up and like, are you okay? Do you need medical attention? Uh, he's like, yeah. And so uh, the officer waits and the ambulance comes while the, he's, where Lewis is being examined and treated in the ambulance. Um, the officer asks him, what's your phone number? And Lewis gives him a phone number that's one off from the legitimate number, the Arkansas number for Crystal Lowry. Oh, Lord Jesus. And the officer, since the vehicle and and Lewis fit the description, he knows that ain't the right number. So he's like, would you call me so that I can have your number in my phone? 
And then Lewis realizes he didn't have any stick to it as far as lying because he realizes the jig is up and he goes ahead and gives the officer the correct phone number. So then they know they've got a person who's been in contact with Beverly Carter. Right. Um, but he wasn't so under arrest. To, I was about to say, is that enough no. to at least detain him? It, it was enough to detain him, although he did need medical treatment because he was, he was not wearing a seatbelt, so his face met the windshield. I posted right. a picture of him on the page. Um, he, he had just wrecked a car and flipped it, I think, onto its side in a ditch. Uh-huh. So he went to the hospital. Um, they they were watching, and they probably would have taken him into custody when he got done being treated. But he knew they were they were there, and he knew that they knew that he knew. So while he was going for a CT scan, he took off. Right which flight is evidence of guilt. guilt. It's a, evidence of a guilty conscience. Right. OJ. So um, they've got all that together. They've impounded the car. They've done an inventory search of the car and found a few things, uh, but they're getting search warrants. They get a search warrant for the Jacksonville address, I think after after this. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. So right. um, they they know he's the right person, so they do get an arrest warrant, and they're looking for him. His name ends up on the news. His picture ends up on the news. And right, I remember. on a street in Little Rock, and a, a realtor or a real estate broker or a title person or someone – within the real estate industry sees him, recognizes him, apparently goes out and chats with him for a minute and then comes back in and calls police and says, y'all looking for Aaron Lewis? He's right here. And so um, then Aaron Lewis realizes he's attracted attention. He runs into an apartment complex. He goes into a subway. He tries to evade the the police, uh, goes into an office, and he either is apprehended after jumping out a window from a second story or he's just apprehended cowering in a closet like the little piece of crap that he is. Right. And then the games begin with Aaron Lewis versus law enforcement and um, he thinks he's smart but he's not Um, on the way to the Pulaski County Sheriff's Office this is on September 30th uh, he's with a Little Rock police officer who's transporting him and he says the word lawyer prior to being handed off to Pulaski County um, well, to me, that is equivocal, and he goes into questioning with Pulaski County, and he's Mirandized again. 
but the little MFR is playing games because he's Mirandized again and he's on video being Mirandized and acknowledging that he understands, but then he refuses to sign the waiver cards. Okay. And then he thinks he's running the show. He demands to go into another room because he doesn't want to be videotaped. It's like, son, you are in a police station. Yeah, you don't They can videotape you in everything, every place but the bathroom, and you can't say dick about it. Shut the hell up. Yeah. Um, But so uh, they, they move him to another room and tell him you're not being recorded when he was, which is brilliant. Uh, he also does not want to be charged in state court. He wants Hold to be on, charged in federal court. Is there a legal precedent well, for that? Well, if he had been smart enough, if he had been smart enough and had taken Miss Carter into Tennessee or maybe up into Missouri, I don't know which would be closer, he could have qualified for federal. Because he's one of those, he's one of those people that thinks they know the law and doesn't know Jack. Okay. He thinks kidnapping is federal under any and all circumstances, and that simply is not the case. If you do not cross state lines, it doesn't matter how many county lines you cross. If you don't cross state lines, it's not federal. Right. They have no jurisdiction. But he demands to speak to federal agents, so a federal agent comes, and the federal agent says, look, tell me I need information. I need to know if this is going to qualify as a federal case. So he plays games for a little while with the federal agent, and then at some point he's, he's got them. He's stringing them along, making them think Beverly is alive and being held by an accomplice by the name of Trevor. Right. But she doesn't have much time. And at some point, they go on a little bit of a wild goose chase where Lewis takes them to two locations saying Beverly's at this one. She's not there. They go to the second one. And they, you know, figure that out pretty quickly and get tired of playing games with him. And so they leave. And then he, you know, is banging on the door when they're back at the station demanding to talk to somebody. So the federal agent comes back in, and um, it may have been prior to the wild goose chases, he did play a recording of Beverly's voice that he had on his cell phone, which had been confiscated on the 28th when he um, wrecked his car and had the encounter with the police officer while waiting for the ambulance. Right. So he plays a recording of Beverly's voice and it's basically, uh, it's heartbreaking because it's basically Beverly telling her husband that she was okay. It hadn't been hurt yet. And to not call the police. And then just, I love you very much. Right. And the thing that really, makes me angry with him is that at this point in time he has already buried Beverly in the concrete 
plant in a shallow grave. Right. So he I knows mean, she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's playing games, and um, when they mention because they you know they know who he is, so when the police mention the concrete plant, that's when Lewis lawyers up. And um, he should not play poker because he obviously will suck at that too. Um, because they knew when he when he had that reaction to the mention of Argos, they knew that's where Beverly Bo- Beverly's body was. And they went to the concrete plant and worked for several hours to find her body and recover it. Um, and okay. they, they did find it late on the 30th or in the early morning of the 1st. Um, and then, of course, Beverly's funeral was held on October 4th, 2014. Her cause of death was asphyxiation caused by a duct tape mask that was placed over her nose and mouth right. by Aaron Lewis. On so the similar 15th, to the way, uh, similar to the way Kaylee Casey An- Kaylee, yes. Yeah. Similar to Kaylee Anthony, correct. Uh, on the 15th, Lewis is interviewed in jail by a KARK reporter. And he, uh, when he was arrested, he said something about, you know, he didn't kill her, Trevor did. Well, the police locate Trevor. They identify Trevor and locate him. He wasn't in town at the time Beverly was kidnapped. He hadn't been in town. He was in the military. Um, you know, he was he was not involved. It's just another game that Lewis is playing. Right. And in the October 15th interview, I think the story that he comes up with is um, she was killed, Beverly was killed accidentally. Right. And on the 30th of October, Lowry is arrested, and then November 24th, Lewis and Lowry are charged. Um, you know, Lewis continues playing games. Like I said, in the in the statements, he always blamed Trevor. Trevor had her. Trevor was keeping her. Trevor's the one who must have killed her. Right. And then. Uh, he, Lewis fired one of his attorneys because they couldn't get along. And he had a woman who does internet research for prisoners post a 22-page, quote, affidavit on Facebook. Right. And in that affidavit, he claimed that uh, he and Lowry were swingers, and that Beverly was a hookup for a three-way, which is absolutely untrue, yeah. and lowers him even further down on the scale of pieces of crap than he already was. Right, right. You know, you you've you've targeted this woman. You've kidnapped her. 
You've murdered her. And now you're saying that it was all an accident during sex? Wow. Um, so That's a special at, douchebag. Yeah. And at some point, because he was facing capital murder and kidnapping and eligible for the death penalty, the um, court ordered a mental health evaluation, which, of course, Lewis did not want. And apparently his issues with his counsel were resolved um, or another attorney was appointed and the first attorney was was uh, let go. Lewis also wanted to represent himself, which I really kind of wish that he had. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes, but I remember that. I, I think that um, I think that the judge well, he would have had a, you know, he would have had a too much of a chance playing games. Right. So there would have been a downside. But a jury seeing him playing the games would not uh, have been too pleased. I was but, about to say, um, would it entertaining, though? Yeah. And, uh, in July of 2014, Lowry agreed to plead guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping. She was sentenced to 30 years in ADC and uh, agreed to testify against Lewis at his trial and give truthful testimony, which I think is about the only good thing, good decision she's ever made in her life. Um, because, you know, the, the good decision, the time to make a good decision was when Aaron Lewis called her and said, I'm driving around. What do I do? What she should have said is, let me think about it and call you right back and then called the cops. Or and told the, given the cops the vehicle and said, you know, he's kidnapped a realtor because this is interesting. It, it's later in the chronology. But at some point, Lowry said the only reason she went along with any of this was that she and Lewis had gotten married. She wanted a divorce. She wanted a separation. And the only way she was getting rid of him is if he had money. Well, and see, that's interesting to me because I thought something similar whenever you said, you know, her response to him uh, calling it was, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not involved. Well, I mean, it sounded like she really didn't want to be involved to begin with. You know, she kind of just got drugged into it. Well, you know, she – I don't find that she didn't want to be involved because she did She did involve herself. She involved right. herself in luring Beverly Carter to lower her guard. Right. Absolutely. If she had refused to participate in any of the scheme – Lewis would have had to go to Beverly Carter's office, any realtor's office, and provide a driver's license so that people right. would know exactly who he was. Absolutely. And he would not have been able to pull the kidnapping off. And frankly, from seeing his interviews and seeing him talk, I don't think anyone talking face-to-face with him 
for five minutes would ever be comfortable enough to be anywhere alone with him because he's just an antisocial, smarmy, uh, awful, awful douchebag of a person. And I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if he's human. Right. And the, you know, the, the mental health evaluation, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. And it's Aaron, Aaron, Aaron all the time. What he can get, right. what you can do. So, um, but luckily, he doesn't have a high IQ. <laughs> so he's not really smart enough to get very far. Right. But no, I you know, she she was involved in the beginning. If she hadn't been involved in the scheme, none of it would have happened because he alone could not have gotten anybody. He would have had to go after a man. Right. And a man probably would have been able to kick his ass. Yeah. Hell, a woman with a little bit of self-defense could have kicked a skinny little ass. But um, uh, so no, she was involved, and then you know, like I said, she wanted to get rid of him. Maybe calling the police while he's driving around with a kidnapped woman in his trunk. That's gonna put yeah. him away for a long, long time. And he's not going to have any money, but he'll be out of your hair. So, you know, there was another way to resolve this whole thing. But she didn't do that. She chose not to do that. And from her testimony at the trial, which we'll get into a little later, um, you know, that thought didn't occur to her. So I think I have a feeling it's a little like, Two antisocial, sick MFers getting together. Neither one of them had the balls to do it on their own. And, you know, if they had gotten money from Beverly's husband, she would have enjoyed that money. At least what Lewis didn't steal from her. So... Um, now, on in the pretrial, you know, proceedings, uh, it can. I don't think it can ever be said or proven that Lewis did not have effective assistance of counsel because his attorneys filed multiple motions to exclude evidence. Basically, they filed motions to exclude every bit of evidence against Lewis in the case. They wanted to get all of his statements excluded, which they were partially successful, although I personally think the circuit court judge made a mistake. Um, Yes, he said the word attorney to a Little Rock police officer. But then he went into an interview room with Pulaski County deputies. He went through the Miranda rights. 
He acknowledged his understanding of those rights. He did refuse to sign the the written waiver, but it was recorded that he was Mirandized, and he did acknowledge his understanding. Well, and see, that's one thing I was wondering when you mentioned that was he mentioned to a Little Rock police officer, but then he was, you know, handed off to Pulaski County if that was a reset button on that whole issue. Well, the judge saw it as once he said to attorney. And another problem, though, is that with Miranda, you can't just say the word attorney and they're done. They can, if you say attorney or do you think I need an attorney, they can kind of ask a question, ask questions of you to determine whether you want an attorney to come in and whether you want them to stop talking to you. Right. So just using the word attorney is an equivocal statement that isn't a clear and unequivocal invocation of your right, any of your rights under the Fifth Amendment. Uh-huh. You know, I've had people, we, we I had this debate with people during the West Memphis 3 discussions. And, you know, well, Jesse said he wanted an attorney. No, he didn't. He was never read his rights. Yes, he was. He didn't understand them. That's crap. Um, I said, and, you know, what if it happens to you? I said, look, if police pick me up for questioning, even if I'm, you know, have nothing to do with the case, A, I'm smart enough to know I probably will want an attorney there with me. And if they don't want to give me an attorney, the only words they're going to get out of me are, I want an attorney. I don't want to talk to you. And right. every question they ask me, that will be my response. I want an attorney, and I don't want to talk to you. Right. And by and large, most police officers, I mean, if you ever watch First 48 or uh, First 48 is really the best example because they, they are the homicide investigators. And, you know, I mean, if they have somebody say, I want an attorney, I don't want to talk to you without my attorney here. They're like, okay, and they walk out the room. Right. And so, like I said, I, Aaron, Lewis's word attorney to Little Rock police officer, I don't believe to be an unequivocal statement required under Miranda. Because Miranda, okay. in addition to imposing duties on police, there are certain requirements that interviewees have to meet. The main one being a clear and unequivocal invocation of your right to remain silent, your right to have an attorney present, your right to end an interview. So um, I don't believe that those statements, those initial statements to Pulaski County where he said, I don't want state charges, I want federal charges, um, get a federal officer, I don't want to be interviewed in this room, I don't want to be recorded. All that was just him playing games, trying to control the interviews. That was, that was all that was. 
And um, but the judge didn't doesn't agree with my take, and he ended up all of the statements that Lewis made up to the point that he started banging on the glass and demanding to speak to the federal agent again. All those initial statements were excluded. So unless Lewis testified. So question then, if we're going to say, and this is just going off on a kind of tangent, but question though, still a legitimate question in my opinion, if we're going to say that the Pulaski County handoff is a reset button, why wasn't the handoff to the federal agent a reset button? Well, no, that's the thing. The the handoff by Little Rock to Pulaski County was not in the judges, in the circuit judge, circuit judge's opinion, or the Arkansas Supreme Court. Uh, it wasn't a reset. Okay. It was basically a continuation of his custody with Little Rock, which means he invoked to Little Rock, and so Pulaski shouldn't have questioned him. Okay, got you. Even though he demanded a federal him. agent, because technically Pulaski didn't question. Him. He asked to, yeah, he asked to speak to a federal agent. He was the thing that gets me is that the Pulaski County, and then when the federal agent came in, he was re-Mirandized each time. Right. Um, and that's the thing I don't understand. Each time when he was re-Mirandized, he did not invoke. He did not say, I already told that cop, that Little Rock cop, I don't want to talk to y'all. I want an attorney. Right. So he was playing games. Now, again, while – and he wasn't – he was playing games, so he wasn't that helpful or that forthcoming in those initial interviews anyway. So they right. really didn't lose a whole lot. But um, they also, he also wanted his uh, cell phone excluded and the recording of Beverly <laughs> on the cell phone. That because he played the recording during a period when the circuit court judge found uh, that he was being questioned in violation of Miranda. Please tell me they did. Uh, however, there's an exception. Um, since the, the, the circumstances, he played the tape, he played the cell phone call to, get an, to try and get an advantage over the investigators. They didn't even know it existed. Well, I mean, they didn't the ask him to play it. He said, give me my phone. I'm going to play this for you, and you're going to understand, you know, we don't have much time. And then he hits play. So the right. judge said under those circumstances, that is not testimonial, so it, it, it stays in. Okay, good. And then he uh, challenged the phone records and the Google records that the police were able to obtain early in the investigation, he characterized them as having been obtained by prosecutor subpoenas. However, 
um, they were actually obtained their their exigent circumstance request. Police can't issue subpoenas. And in Arkansas, prosecutors can't issue subpoenas to assist in police investigations, which is one of the goofiest things I've ever read in my entire life. Don't you have to go to because the judge? Dealing, well, but see, that's the thing. You you do have to go to a judge. Well, I guess the, the, the police can get a subpoena through the court. Well, I You're mean, right. in, you know, I, Arkansas, I will admit, has, when it comes to cell phones, at least has some weird things. Because, like, and we talked about this on the show before, my uncle passed away. And I yeah. remember my grandma literally handed the police the phone, but they still, because it was password protected, had to go get a warrant to be able to open that phone up. And I yeah. was like, she handed you the phone. What do you mean? Well, and, you know, that's interesting because actually in Arkansas, um, you do not have an expectation of privacy for your phone records. Right. In Arkansas, well, the, maybe, the ruling in the Lewis case was, was that sure. because the exigent circumstances request went to third parties, and it's uh-huh. the third parties that keep the records. You don't have an expectation of privacy. Right. So, um, well, you know, getting a warrant, as we talked with, as we discussed with uh, Commander Gernon, you know, getting a warrant is always just a good practice. Practice because there aren't, there aren't exceptions and a lot of exceptions with Fourth Amendment. Right. Um, if if your uncle's phone had not been protected by password, and what they may have been doing was getting a warrant to get the phone company to unlock the phone for them. I think that may be what they that may be what they were doing, because you remember with the San Bernardino shooters, uh-huh. uh, the big kerfuffle because. Um, they had password protected phones, and Apple would not yep. help the police uh, break the passwords. Right, I remember. Um, so you know, I, I I think as we said, I, I'm going to leave a a declaration behind that tells AT and T that police want my phone records. They want my phone. They want my password. Anything they want on my phone, AT&T, I'm instructing you to give it to them or I will come back and haunt you. <laughs> so, but yeah, in Arkansas, you, you don't have an expectation of privacy in phone records because they're not your records. They're the phone company's records. Right. And um, again, these records weren't obtained with subpoenas issued by the prosecutor. They were obtained through exigent circumstance requests, which a lot of phone companies and a lot of tech companies are now recognizing. If you have a kidnap victim, they will provide as much information as they have to the police to try and, you know, locate 
and and recover that kidnap victim alive. Because God knows uh, they don't need the bad publicity. And I think OnStar had some bad publicity in the first, you know, five years that they were in existence because there well, was a, a, a guy who was carjacked and witnesses saw him carjacked and shot and in his car and OnStar would not tell police where the vehicle was located. So I'll be fair enough to say that I, I don't remember everything to do with the Apple thing, but I remember it was pretty evenly divided when I, you know, I hear people talking about it, about, you know, good for Apple for not selling somebody out, but then there'd also be people who'd be like, you know, screw Apple, they should have freaking helped out the police, you know. So yeah. Just one of those Well, things. I mean, I could understand Apple's position if we're dealing with, say, a drug investigation. Right. And they've got the phone number, and they spoof the phone, but they can't make the spoof phone work because they don't have the password. And they're trying to get the password to see what's on the drug dealer's phone or the suspected drug dealer's phone. Um, right. But in the in the San Bernardino case, these people had killed m- multiple people. They had killed themselves or been killed by police. I can't remember which which one happened. So they were dead. Right. And the the need to see the phone and see who they were in contact with to to ensure that more people weren't out there waiting to kill more innocent people was a very important goal of police, and Apple didn't want to – I think they were eventually forced by a court. Yeah, I, I think that's how it ended up working out too. But I mean, at the end of the day, yes, I can see the difference, like you said, between a drug investigation or something minor. But in a murder, I feel like you should err on the side of, hey, I'm going to help these people right. out. Well, again, I mean, it depends on the purpose. If it's, you know, we want the passcode, we arrested the guy. You know, we're trying to figure out what to charge him with, and we need passcode because we want to know everything he's been doing, everybody he's been talking to, every place he's been going. I can see, I can see Apple saying, when a court tells us we have to do that, we'll do that. Right. But in the San Bernardino case, I think, I think they should have applied, looked at it as as an exigent circumstance, and right. said, okay, this is this is important. We need to go ahead and assist the police in um, – and, you know, Apple, Siri, Cortana, Alexa, they're all listening. They're all oh, yes, listening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I was in my boss's office the other day, and he and I were talking, and all of a sudden Siri comes up and says, I can't find that. Oh, yeah. Like Siri, we oh, weren't talking we to you. Oh yeah. So, uh, so no. uh, the the phone the phone record and the spoof records, uh, which led to Lewis and Lowry, uh, were it were kept in. 
Uh, he also tried to block Lowry's testimony, but pretty much all of her, all of her testimony dealt with the criminal plan, uh, carrying out the criminal plan. So marital privilege does not apply. Okay. Marital privilege does not shield you from, and some of the material, like the affidavit. A lot of the material in the affidavit was stuff that he's, you know, he's he disclosed to third parties. He's disclosed to his attorneys. He's disclosed to uh, the mental health evaluator. You know, there's no privilege if you disclose it to third parties. Right. So, um, so the the court. I think the court pretty much said most of it will be in, but um, he would, you know, look at the testimony once it – would reconsider once the testimony started. Well, and I mean, Lisa, Which is how fair, a lot of judges – Just knowing yeah. what I know from OJ and how they went in there, it doesn't sound like it's too far-fetched that that was their first move to try to get every single piece of evidence thrown out. And to challenge every single piece Correct. of evidence. Because that's what OJ, and, you know, I'm assuming that's pretty much a blueprint at this point. Yeah, that is that is a blueprint. Although I have to admit, they the his defense made some pretty good arguments. Right. Um, and then uh, let's finish this little bit, and then we'll go to break before we start, talk about the trial, uh, okay. which was held in 2016. Um, he was successful in getting everything seized from Lowry's home in Jacksonville excluded, although the majority of it I don't think the state really planned to use. There was, I think, some jewelry found that might have belonged to Beverly. Um but what happened with that was the the police did a warrant that they believed was specific enough that a magistrate signed off on, but that the reviewing judge in the criminal trial felt was too general or too generalized. Of course, the warrant was made out before they'd found Beverly's body. They didn't know how she died. They didn't know for sure that she was dead. So, um, but again, you know, the the circuit court found that it was too general, and so he excluded the evidence, most of the evidence from the house. Again, I don't know that there was a lot in the house with the exception of perhaps some jewelry. Um, But then he also excluded initially everything out of the vehicle. And then he reconsidered and left anything found in the passenger compartment during an inventory search, but that ended up excluding 
physical evidence from Beverly, some hair, and I believe some blood. Because the car warrant and the house warrant he found both to be defective. Okay. And, you know, that that's the way, that was his opinion, that was his belief, and he was the one, he was the umpire calling the balls and strikes at that point. Right. Um, you know, I it it I think it outraged Beverly's family. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't um, think I is, it. It it is a little outrageous that the person who killed your loved one has more rights in the court than you or your loved one have. Absolutely. But that's the nature of the system that we have created to, you know, that's the nature of the criminal justice system we've created. But, you know, what's interesting to me is this, you know, and I've thought about this. So the same people that talk about the, uh, the same people that talk about how, you know, unjust our criminal justice system are, or talk about how, you know, freaking difficult it is are the same people who were probably, you know, in some cases complaining about the fact that all this stuff got wiped out. It's, people can be finished. Well, no, 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 that's the thing. When, when, um, you know, when Lewis was successful in getting a good bit of the evidence out because of the defective warrant, uh, Uh they just ignore that that ever happened. They'll only complain about the statements in the cell phone uh, recording being left in that they should have been left, you know, they should have been excluded. Right. Um, And that, you know, the police were allowed to get cell phone records. See, the thing is, he had, Aaron Lewis, there's also a a concept, and I, I saw this in West Memphis 3 too. There's a concept of standing. Aaron Lewis has no standing to object to police getting Beverly Carter's cell phone records. The only person with standing or, or the only entities or persons with standing are AT&T and Beverly Carter. All right. I can't even imagine her husband can be up in arms about it. No, and and he wouldn't have standing either. Yeah, you know he unless unless his name is on the bill, he wouldn't have. There's a concept of standing. Interestingly, um, I don't know if you remember this. You you may not even be aware of it. Uh, When Miss Kelly was interviewed by the prosecutor in Rector. Uh huh. And gave his initial, his additional confession on the record with Dan Stidham and Greg Crow right there, begging him not to talk. Eccles and Baldwin each filed uh, basically motions complaining about 
Miss Kelly being taken from the prison, taken to the office and rector, questioned by the prosecutor after he invoked his rights, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and the, the basic the basic thing was y'all don't have any standing to complain about that. You can argue it to a jury if he testifies to try to undermine the weight of his testimony or the credibility of his testimony, but you have no standing to complain about how the police treated Justin Miss Kelly. Only Justin Miss Kelly has standing to complain about that. And only Buddy Lucas had standing to complain about how police treated him. Jesse Miss Kelly can't get his charges thrown out because, you know, they they mistreated Buddy Lucas. It's not how it works. Um, so, and at one point, uh, Aaron Lewis did file a motion to dismiss the all of the charges um, and I can't I don't remember what the grounds were um, but uh, that wasn't successful either <laughs> I can imagine um, and I think the uh, no uh like I said, he had uh, he had he filed uh, okay. Lewis filed a pro se motion to dismiss all the charges. And let me see, it was filed on January fourth, twenty fifteen. Um, he has got. I wonder if he's still got this chick doing his. Uh, work because he has got the most feminine handwriting. If it's his handwriting, it's the most <laughs> feminine handwriting I have ever seen in my life. Right. Okay, I, I don't have the pro se motion. He filed a motion to dismiss the capital murder um Let's see. I don't even know what the grounds were. I guess he didn't like the... um, Lewis did not like... Oh, okay. He filed a motion to dismiss because a letter he mailed to Mr. Hensley that he intended for Hensley to forward to the attorney for his wife and co-defendant, Crystal Lowry, was intercepted and uh, by the prison or confiscated by the prison. Well, guess what, buddy? You're not supposed to be sending letters to the attorney for your wife. Right. Um. Yeah, it was. It, it was. Wow, that's special. It, it, it's yeah. He's he's a special kind of stupid. So why don't we take a quick break here? Uh huh. 
and then um, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the trial and the um, evidence and the outcome. Okay. Sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Clearing Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. We'll be right back after this. This Saturday in Ola at 307 West Hill Street. Doors open at 530. Concessions will be available. And this is a family-friendly show with kids under six getting in free. It's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. Crystal Lowry of first-degree murder 
and kidnapping charges. However, um, saying that Beverly Carter died accidentally while she was alone with your wife, I don't find that that really exonerates anybody. And kidnapping... your wife. His his claim was that Beverly willingly went with him for this hookup. Oh, totally. However, we know Beverly did not ride in the front seat of the car. She rode bound with duct tape in the trunk. Right, so maybe she was for Aaron it. Lewis, well, no, no, don't even say that. That's not <laughs> no. That's true. <laughs> Um, so for Aaron Lewis, just so he knows if he ever sees a light of day outside of prison, willing, willing people ride in the passenger front seat of the car or the back seat of the car, kidnapping victims ride bound in duct tape in your trunk. Yeah, I know it seems to it seems to be with with Aaron. I think it's a distinction without a difference, or he thinks it's a distinction without a difference. But it's a big distinction. If she's riding in the trunk, tied up with duct tape, she's not a willing. She's not willingly going with you. Yeah, that's gonna be a no for me. Yeah. So, uh, and and after you know setting, after all the police witnesses testifying and all all the other information they had, the attorney actually read that affidavit into the record, and then Crystal Lowry testified. And you know, Crystal Lowry is a direct witness. She's direct evidence of what happened, even though she didn't see. Aaron Lewis killed Beverly Carter. She did see him bury Beverly because she went with him to the Argos plant and watched him dig the hole and put Beverly's body in the hole. Which makes her just that much more culpable. Let's be honest here. I was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt earlier, but I mean, come on now. You were given chances to be like, bruh, let's go ahead and not do this shit. Yeah. So, um, so that was that was the state's case in a nutshell. And Lewis did testify in his defense, which means all the statements that the judge was kind enough to rule in his favor and leave out could come back in if he testified inconsistent with any of those statements. Whether he did or not, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I was going to say, let me get I'm not sure. Um, They didn't abstract his testimony in the state uh, uh, response in the appeal. And I did not look at the uh, appellant stuff because I really just did not want to deal with 
that <laughs> right. volume of material this week. So I, I kind of stuck with the state briefs and the state responses to the motions to exclude and, and the, the uh, what you call it, the appellate opinion, the Supreme Court opinion, Arkansas Supreme Court. Uh, it appears his uh, direct appeal – well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, uh, but I, I didn't deal with the appellant's brief. But if we revisit the case later, I'll, I'll go into the appellant brief or try to get my hands on a copy of the abstract of his testimony or his actual testimony because I'd like to read it. I really would like to read the uh, – uh, I really would like to read that affidavit, but I guess not right. <laughs> at, this, at <laughs> this stage. So um, – but he did testify. Uh, the jury was out for an hour after getting the case to deliberate, and they came back, and they found him guilty of capital murder and kidnapping. Um the he was also charged with felon in possession of a firearm because they found guns in the house, but uh, that charge was null pro. It was severed from the capital murder and kidnapping, and then it was null prost, which means the the prosecution didn't pursue it, possibly because the guns were found as a result of the defective warrant. Okay. So. Um, uh, I do, I, I do, I do apologize to listeners because I should have looked at his briefs because his full statement transcripts are on those briefs and I didn't even look at them. So when we revisit the case, we'll look at, we'll look at those statements. Um, and then he was sentenced by the jury to life without parole and life in prison. Again, as I understand it, the death penalty was waived. It may have been waived when Crystal Lowry pled guilty, or it may have been waived as a result of the uh, evaluation that was done because initially they were asserting a insanity defense. Okay. So he wouldn't cooperate in the evaluation, so um, that meant that they couldn't pursue the they couldn't pursue the defense because he wouldn't cooperate with the uh, with the evaluation. He was playing games with that get, too. Yeah, he couldn't get out of his own. Yeah, he's he's well, he's he's one of those people. Like I said, he's one of those people that thinks he's smart. And thinks he knows it all, and when he speaks, you know that that ain't the case. Right. Uh, so, like I said, I mean, if he wanted to be charged in federal court, he should have at least known he'd have to take Beverly across state lines to do that. Right. You know, pretty simple. True. True. So, so he um, he 
appealed to the Arkansas Supreme Court, and it was a, a direct an appeal of right to the Arkansas Supreme Court. That's what direct appeal is. And um, he really was challenging only the evidentiary rulings. He didn't challenge the sufficiency of the evidence against him. He actually didn't challenge whether they proved he kidnapped Beverly or whether they proved capital murder, uh, which is interesting and will come into play a little later. Um, but he did challenge the uh, evidentiary rulings and lost on every one. Um, they okay. found that the circuit court left out statements correctly and left in statements correctly. Uh, they found that he had no expectation of privacy in the phone records of Beverly right. Carter or of the Google records. Because they're they're Google's records. Google's Google's can do what Google wants to do with them, basically. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he challenged the marital privilege claim, which he lost. Uh, and then the only other one he he alleged that the he had been promised that he would be prosecuted in federal court. And they didn't keep that promise, so he should get a new trial or he should get everything dismissed and he should go home. But the uh, Supreme Court found that he didn't really argue that to the trial court, and so they weren't – it was not preserved for review, and they weren't going to review it. Right. So – so that was the end of his direct appeal. His conviction and sentences were affirmed. Okay. And he he has not oh, and another interesting thing on the on the divorce. Crystal Lowry has filed for divorce twice. She filed on October seventeenth, twenty fourteen. And then in December December of 2014, uh, Aaron responded to the complaint. In January of 2015, Aaron Lewis filed a motion to dismiss the divorce that he and Crystal had are, were incarcerated, and so a separation of marital assets and debt is no longer practical. And the divorce was dismissed, so they're still legally married. And then she filed again on December 21st, 2017. And uh, Aaron answered the divorce. And then on March 29th, 2018, Crystal filed a an affidavit requesting that the the uh, divorce be dismissed, and Lewis filed a motion to dismiss that they had basically reconciled. So. 
Crystal Lowry is still married to this loser. And I am guessing this is the only speculation because I don't have the actual records, but uh, it appears that Aaron may have convinced her that he could get them both out of prison. Oh, Lord. Because she has sent two requests to the clerk of court in Pulaski County for records from the case. However, no Rule 37 petition has been filed. Okay. And then in 2018, Lewis filed a writ of habeas corpus uh, in the circuit court. And basically, he is claiming that his conviction is invalid because capital murder with he was incorrectly charged and convicted of capital murder with a felony of kidnapping. Um, he alleges that, or he claims he was alleged to have caused the death of Beverly Carter, who was also kidnapped. His understanding, and this is probably totally wrong, Oh well, not probably. It is totally wrong. Uh, right. That for capital murder to come into play with a kidnapping, the death death must be in furtherance of the felony of kidnapping. Apparently, he didn't read the entire statute because it's either in furtherance of the felony of kidnapping or to avoid being caught. Right, like, wow. Right. So, wow. in his little pea brain, um, he says that death actually ceases the kidnapping. These are his exact words. Um, however, pursuant to the statute for capital murder, the death must be in furtherance of the felony, parentheses, kidnapping. But the death actually ceases the kidnapping at that point. At that period, the victim becomes a body or thing and no longer kidnapped. Capital murder was the wrong charge. Um, this was filed on October 4th, 2018. It was dismissed on October 10th, 2018, uh, basically because it was filed in Pulaski County, and he is in a facility at the Eastern Arkansas Max Unit in Lee County, so he basically has to file in Lee County. Um, I don't find any electronic records from Lee County. He's also sent a letter, oh no, that's Crystal sending a letter to the court in March of this year asking for warrants and warrant returns and inventories and subpoenas and court orders uh, issued by the prosecution and the court docket. Okay. So he may have Crystal thinking that his 
brilliant legal mind, which I think is a chick on the outside, the same, probably the same one who posted the affidavit for him, um, doing this, and she is, she calls herself a paralegal, but I don't think that she really is, because she would have read the whole kidnapping statute, which (laughs) talks about more than just the furtherance of the kidnapping. Right. So he he has not filed a Rule 37 petition unless he filed it in Lee County, which is possible. True. If we revisit, uh, I'll I'll look and see if Lee County is online, if we re- revisit him at some point in time, if he ever gets his act together and actually does file post-conviction. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that the... I don't know that Lee County's records are online. I love Pulaski because Pulaski and the Supreme Court are online. Well, yeah, I mean, come on now. We're advanced. Um, We're not like Saline County. (laughs) So, um, I mean, yeah, I don't find anything from Lee County. Okay. Definitely, well, let me, let me see. Okay. I mean, it's definitely something to keep right. your eye on. Because obviously he's not going down until he goes down for good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see. I, I looked up on Lee. Lee County does show up. Um, but I don't see anything for Aaron Lewis. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, he hasn't filed in, but I think on Rule 37, if he wants to file something, he better get it filed. Because you you can't file that any old time you want. There are deadlines. Right. There, There are statutes of limitation. And it doesn't appear that uh, his attorneys ever sought review from the U.S. Supreme Court. So his conviction and sentence were final in June of 2017. Okay. Or wait, let me look at the let me look at his uh, the appellate opinion. That was, yeah, June eighth of twenty seventeen. The opinion was delivered. Rehearing was denied on September fourteenth, twenty seventeen. So his uh-huh. conviction and sentence are final. He never sought review by the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. So he is done. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, he he needs to he needs to file a Rule Thirty Seven. Probably going to be out of time now because it's been more than two years since his uh, right. his conviction and sentence became final. So. <clears throat> So that is that is the uh, piece of work known as Aaron Michael Lewis. Right, and that's I mean that's the best way you can describe him. Piece of work. Piece of work. Piece of crap. I mean, several we can find a four-letter words to describe him. <laughs> yes, we could. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's Aaron Lewis. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess Lisa, let's go ahead and toss a bow on her and get on out. All right. We will do that. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about next week. Oh yeah, me too. I, so, you got me actually excited about that one. That one's pretty. That one will be pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's easy prep because I just have to read a lot of order. I just have to go now re- and read articles about horses. So which I'm you really going to do anyway. We, we, which, which I do all the time. You were going to do that. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'BrienLAN. And I want to thank a couple of new listeners who reached out to me on Twitter. I appreciate y'all listening. We'll have a – oh, wait. I'm sorry. (laughs) Join us next week, Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 36, The Breeders' Cup Special. We'll be joined by special guest Joe Nevels, the Bloodstock Editor at The Pollock Report, North America's leading independent thoroughbred racing website. Joe has been writing about horses and racing since 2007 and has had articles published in some of the most prestigious industry magazines, including Blood Horse, Daily Racing Form, and Thoroughbred Times. We'll talk about the history of the Breeders' Cup, the grade run one races, the horses, trainers, and jockeys, and Joe will give us some handicapping advice and insight into the contenders and their sires and dams. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night. Thank uh-huh.